just after 9 o'clock on a Saturday morning, and that must mean it's time again for Money Management with Opus 111 Group's Mike Mail. Here's Mike. Good morning. Welcome to this week's edition of Money Management. We are your antidote to conventional wisdom. My name is Mike Mail, and we're all set for another hour of financial news, a recap on what's been going on in the economic world, and most importantly, I'll try to translate it so you can figure out how it all affects you. So uh, let us uh, look at the week. It's been <laughs> We had Monday, uh, the Dow was down 500 points. Tuesday, it was unchanged. Wednesday, up 700 and change. Uh, Thursday it was off a couple hundred, and then Friday it was unchanged. So something for everybody this week, it would appear, just looking at the numbers. But, uh, you know, today, excuse me, yesterday, the Dow and the overall market were down early, but some of those losses, matter of fact, most of those losses were recovered in the subsequent hours. That, and that's due to the fact that the traders uh, uh, were apparently able to shake off some of their Indiv- concerns about individual economic indicators not being exactly what they wanted. Uh, this following Mr. Powell's c- comments earlier this past week, which I'll talk about here in a bit. Uh, you know, Anna Hahn, who is vice president at Wells Fargo Securities, had this observation. She said, just one strong labor data point is not going to be enough after Mr. Powell's speech. He's confirming that we're seeing the trend that we're having an effect on inflation, so I think that sort of soothed the market and took the pressure off, unquote. And as far as the numbers are concerned, the Dow closed Friday higher by a whole 34 points. It was up, uh, matter of fact, the Dow, S&P, and NASDAQ were all up week over week for the second week in a row. The Dow closed at 34,429. The S&P ended the week at 4071. NASDAQ at 11,461, Russell 2000 finished at 1892, gold at 1794 an ounce, silver at $23.11 an ounce. Crude uh, ended the week up a little bit, but uh, not too strongly, uh, 79.98 a barrel. The 10-year down to the lowest uh, it's been since whew, probably August of this year at 3.46%, and soft white wheat bid at 8.68 a bushel. So, there you are. That's how we ended the week. You know, it's... Let me uh, talk about the jobs report, uh, which came out uh, Friday, and kind of roll that in with perhaps with some of what... some of those economic-related reports from earlier in the week. Um, The initial jobless claims which are really a proxy for layoffs, uh, dropped to uh, 225,000 folks, according to the Labor Department last week. And that's been uh, since the, uh, well, it's close to the average, the weekly average of 2019, when the market was, excuse the labor market was also strong. Now, as far as from a bigger picture context, the overall economy added 263,000 jobs that, more than what was anticipated, uh, the tea leaf readers, uh, uh, quote unquote, the economists polled by uh, Dow Jones said that they looked for 200,000 folks being added. So the unemployment rate remains constant at 3.7%. So again, another sign of strength in the labor market. 
and job growth does continue to exceed the monthly average of 164,000, uh, the 2019 monthly average of 164,000, though that has slowed a little bit from the first of the year. Now, in addition, hourly earnings also came in above expectations, jumping 5%, 5.1% compared with uh, this time a year ago. Michael Larone, who is Chief Investment Strategist at State Street Global Advisors, uh, had this observation. He said, uh, the supply of workers remain low, the demand for workers remains high. That means wage inflation will remain sticky, and that's a problem for stocks going forward because it's likely to keep the Fed hawkish rather than dovish, unquote. Now, Peter Bookvar, he always seems to have a word to say about stuff. He's chief investment officer at Bleakley Financial Group. Peter said, uh, quoting, The freakout in the markets, both stocks and bonds, is being driven by the upside surprise in wages. Now, the uh, average hourly earnings jumped twice what uh, the Dow Jones estimate was. As I mentioned, they were up 5.1%. The expectations were a jump of 4.6%. So, in a percentage basis, that's pretty big. And uh, Mr. Bookvar said that's been the trend for most of the year and twice the pace it's in the last 20 years leading into the pandemic. He goes on to say, and I'm quoting, bottom line, today's hot wage data matches up with what Mr. Powell was highlighting last Wednesday in terms of what can keep the inflation stickier for longer as this translates the most into the more persistent services inflation, unquote. You know, folks, the traders, that is to say, were hoping for a number that was both low enough to signal that the labor market was cooling in response to prior interest rate hikes, while at the same time being strong enough to suggest that we could avoid a recession. Well, Seema Shah, she of uh, Chief Global Strategist at Principal Asset Management, had this thought. She said, quote, to have 263,000 jobs added even after policy rates had been raised by three and three quarters percent is no joke. Uh, she goes on to say the labor market is hot, 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 heaping pressure on the Fed to contain raising, excuse me, to continue raising policy rates, unquote. You know, these numbers likely are going to do little to slow a Fed that's been raising rates steadily this year to help bring down inflation. And the rate increases have brought the uh, Fed's benchmark rate, uh, which is their overnight borrowing rate, to a range of 375 to 4. You may recall uh, not all that long ago, it was 0 to 0.25%. So that's a significant jump. Yeah. Uh, and a related note, uh, the uh, payroll processing firm ADP had private sector job numbers, which came out on Wednesday. They added 127,000 jobs, which was below what they anticipated. And the Bureau of Economic Analysis also said that the third quarter GDP increased at 2.9%. Uh, that's the second of three estimates that we'll get. Uh, and that's higher than what it was in the first quarter, first estimate of 2.6%. So inflation rising in October about in line with estimates is sending a sign that price increases are at least stabilizing. That's according to the Commerce Department. And uh, the other thing called the 
Personal Consumption Expenditures Price Index. That's the PCE. That's the number that the Fed likes to use. It excludes food and energy. Uh, it was up 5% from a year ago and also in line. So once again, th- some of the pressures for inflation are being mitigated, reduced, almost eliminated. So that is uh, going away, but there's still other things in the system that will keep it an issue for a while longer. One of those, personal spending up, according to the Commerce Department on Thursday. Uh, And, you know, that's not a bad thing, is it? You know, folks are spending their money uh, to make purchases pretty much across the board. You know, it's not how much it's not how much they're spending that matters, but how much the economy is producing. That's the ultimate source of future purchasing power. You know, so that's why you want to focus on fundamentals like the monetary policy and corporate profits. Those are the things that determine the path of markets in the next year or so. The headlines, yeah, well, the headlines, you got to deal with them, but they're not exactly going to be changing the overall market direction. Now, um, <coughs> excuse me, I want to talk a little bit, too, about some of these um, stock issues. You know, historically, November to January is the best period for the markets. And it's since 1950, uh, and this... In 1950, at least, anyway. Uh, the year after midterm elections, so that'll be next year, has delivered stronger performance than other years, regardless of the election outcome. So hopefully that too will work out. You know, could, maybe, might, that's the, the words that have been driving the market this week. That's why we're seeing all this flipping around. There's lots of dots connecting with no real. <laughs> What are we trying to create here? You know, the uh, certainty of uncertainty has been writ large. And so that's why you have to maintain a kind of low profile when you uh, look at the news. Don't get all caught up in it. You know, there's one thing I think that uh, folks can really uh, be glad about. And uh, I think most of them aren't really aware of it. And that's dividend payouts are at all time highs. They're up almost 7% in the third quarter to a record in the U.S., and higher by 7% globally. Financial issues uh, have accounted for about 40% of the growth in dividends, and that's the largest single uh, contribution by an industry group. Internationally, the oil companies uh, have accounted for a large measure of dividend growth. You know, because you got to figure that your return is a combination, your total return, what you really make, is a combination of your growth plus any dividends and or interest that you earn in that instrument along with it. So if your dividend payouts are continuing to rise, even though your shares may be sideways to lower, uh, that's a good thing. That's a very good thing. So, you know, I think folks need to understand, recognize, if you will, that the economy has so far been very resilient. Corporate profits remain good. Uh, Consumers are still spending, as we've heard. Households, corporate balance sheets are still in pretty good shape. And valuations have become more attractive because when shares are lower and you buy them at those places, uh, prices, you you can see a a better uh, rate of return over time. So, you know, that's pretty good. Uh, You want to be looking for 
again, quality. As I said, financials have held up because they typically generate profits, uh, better profits when rates are at zero. And, and you know, as much uh, <laughs> bad press as our friendly tech shares have been getting, you don't want to bet against those guys long term, uh, especially since they've fallen so much. You know, um, now tech is kind of a broad category. They make up 24% tech stocks, make up 24% of the S&P 500. But a number of the big tech companies aren't really in the tech sector. Amazon and Tesla are in consumer discretionary, Facebook, Google, Netflix, and communications. Uh, so, but, you know, that's generally what we think about. Now, you say, well, gosh, I'd like to participate in those, and you can, but it's one of those give up to gets if you want to do it strictly with the U.S. indices. By that, I mean you can get a, a nice participation representation in the tech sector, but for reasons I'm not aware of, uh, you're not going to get anything to speak of in energy because the S&P 500 uh, is 26% tech, 5% energy. The Dow, 19% tech, 3% energy. The NASDAQ, the Qs as they're called, uh, the ETF that is uh, representative of the NASDAQ 100, 49% tech and 0% energy. So if you want to own energy, you got to find another vehicle in order to uh, do that. It uh, makes the case for, again, diversification. You can't just... Um, throw your money at an index and figure, well, that's good, I'm in, I'm well covered, because certainly uh, that wouldn't be the case if you're just looking at it on that basis. And another thing, you know, the S&P, the companies in the S&P, uh, get about 40% of their revenues from overseas. From the tech guys, it's like 60%. And, uh, you know, what you got to understand is that the S&P is more about the manufacture and sale of goods, our GDP is more about providing services, which makes sense because it's internal. It's our, you know, our country. The uh, economy is mostly the stuff we do with those, the things that the corporations make and sell. And, you know, that number, that number of uh, shares in the, excuse me, companies in the S&P is again probably pretty understated uh but this now you were getting the uh, talk seemingly daily about layoffs or potential layoffs in that sector and people are all um doing the heavy breathing thinking it's an indication of the entire economy slowing down but you know these guys are very much meaning the tech companies very much a, a part of our daily lives so you know they when you look at the whole thing, it's about a third of the S&P 500. So they're significant. And you are seeing layoffs uh, in those companies. But Goldman Sachs came out with a note that I thought was rather revealing. He said that even in the unlikely scenario, that's their term, unlikely scenario where every single worker in Internet publishing, broadcasting, and web search were all laid off like right now, the unemployment rate would go up by only maybe three-tenths of 1%. So <clears throat> if you're one of those people, that's 100%. But uh, in terms of the greater economy, it isn't 
that significant an event. So um, don't be too concerned by that fact, okay? Now, you know, one thing that we do as people, uh, and I talked about this uh, in the last couple of weeks, is take the recent past and project it indefinitely into the future, good or bad. And as the news cycle picks up, this problem's only gotten worse. You know, that's one of the, well, disadvantages of uh, the Internet of Things. You know, there's a lot of stuff floating around out there, but how much of it is useful and, and uh, reliable, if you will? You know, it used to feel as if the recent past went, you know, maybe a couple of years. Now, <laughs> depending upon where you are, it could be a couple minutes. You know, it, it, if you think things are going terribly they're probably going to go continue that way forever. Now, if your portfolio values continue to be dropping, and I've heard this, I know uh, people say at this rate, if it continues, I won't have any money, or I won't be able to live, or whatever, uh, in a few months from now. But on the other hand, like say last year, and uh, three or four years prior to that, if things are going well, you expect them to continue to go well forever. If every year for the past five years you got a nice bonus in January and in October you want to buy a new house, it would be tempting to factor that bonus you will surely get in January. But it's going to be highly disappointing if that bonus doesn't come and a number of New York uh, investment banks are already saying that uh, don't look for the usual bonus, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, it won't be there. So this phenomena, this looking over your shoulder and expanding it out into the future forever and always, amen, is called the recency bias. So just kind of be aware of that. Try to let it not overtake uh, your thinking. And now I want to get, <coughs> excuse me, I get into a little more about uh, Mr. Powell and his pronouncements this week. You know, when you think about it, when it comes right down to it, he made a comment this last Wednesday and basically saying that they would, instead of raising the rates by three-quarters of 1% at their next meeting, the 13th or 11th and 12th of December, something like that, um, they'd maybe only raise it a half a percent. So a change of one-quarter of 1%, which is basically, in the greater scheme of things, no meaningful figure, sparked the rally. But it was the perceptions of the traders that made all the difference. So let's think about that. You know, I, on Wednesday, he said, Mr. Powell said, that smaller interest rate increases are likely ahead, even as he sees progress in the fight against inflation as largely inadequate. Uh, echoing recent statements from other central bank people and comments at the November Fed meeting, Mr. Powell said he sees the central bank in position to reduce the size of rate hikes as soon as next month. And again, that's what kicked the uh, market off on Wednesday. But, he cautioned, monetary policy is likely to stay restrictive for some time until real signs of progress emerge on inflation. Talking about uh, Mr. Powell, the Fed Reserve Chairman, uh, his comments this past week uh, regarding... Um, interest rates and related topics <clears throat> excuse me very much um, he said 
the central bank is in a position to reduce the size of rate hikes as soon as next month. And as I said right before the break, he cautioned that inflation monetary policy is likely to stay restrictive for some time until real signs of progress emerge on inflation. Despite some promising developments, he said, we have a long way to go to restoring price stability. He went on to say, it makes sense to moderate the pace of our rate increases as we approach the level of restraint that will be sufficient to bring inflation down. He went on to say, the time for moderating the pace of rate increases may come as soon as the December meeting. Now, in normal people talk, that's what he said. He said that we'll be likely taking the rates down a quarter of a percent at our next meeting. Now, he did say that the Fed may stay with its restrictive policy for a long time before it ends its inflation fight. Now, again, uh, we had a big response on Wednesday to his comments about uh, not as high for as long. Uh, that was set off a couple things. There was uh, a lot of what's called short covering going on. That means that traders who had set up to benefit from the market dropping realized that that wasn't going to happen. And when that happens, uh, you need to buy back your position at the market price. So that helps uh, to close out your obligation. So that helps uh, add to the buying frenzy. And then again, it's just the buying panic, the FOMO thing. Oh my goodness, you know, it's going to take off. It's going to leave me behind. Uh, traders work in nanoseconds, you understand. So uh, as, a, as a normal person investor, you know, it, that's kind of like interesting news, but don't let it get to you too much. Uh, Morgan Stanley, however, said uh, that the S&P may drop as much as 15% by uh, March as the Fed unwinds its balance sheet. He said, while the market's laser-focused on rate hikes, the Fed's tightening program is the quote-unquote elephant in the room and the damage isn't done yet. Well, uh, Ross Mayfield is an investment strategist at Baird. Now, Ross says... This was a really big week of economic data. A lot of times when you have a handful of big catalysts in the near term, the market will just kind of trade sideways or be a little calm in anticipation of those events. But he advises clients, especially those looking at long-term strategies, to keep focused on bigger investing goals and not be swayed by the short-term ups and downs. That's a good guidance, Ross. Uh, and he said also, if you're just a long-term investor, it really is staying the course. It's about staying the course. Now, if you go and look at the data, the Dow has now come up about 20% since September 30. That was its low point for the year. That puts it back near a bull market which is, uh, you know, supposedly an increase of 20% or more from a recent low, uh, the S&P and NASDAQ remain slightly in bear markets. But that's, <laughs> that 20% is, you know, that's, it's a, it, let's think of it as kind of like a rule of thumb. It's not carved in stone anywhere. It's not forever and always. And uh, so, but just for sake of conversation. And, 
You know, while it seems we we learned earlier about uh, consumer uh, spending and consumer confidence, it seems logical that consumer confidence would lead spending. But it doesn't usually work that way in the real world. Confidence is really just some point in time where people get asked a question and, you know, to give an indication of feelings, which has been influenced by what they're reading, hearing, seeing, and experiencing right then or immediately before they get asked a question. Uh, and to some extent, it's been my experience that they oftentimes will give an answer that they think the uh, questioner wants to hear. Don't ask me why. We're back to human nature. So it's not surprising that confidence uh, was down last month. This headlines continue to beat us about the head and shoulders about inflation and the midterm elections and rate hikes and layoffs and yada, yada, yada. You know, yet none of this means that the same consumers aren't simultaneously spending because they are. Comparing and uh, uh, inflation-adjusted spending over the past 10 years, spending has risen both in terms of <laughs> lower consumer confidence and higher consumer confidence. Even this year, with con confidence uh, mostly on a downswing, I guess, at least generally speaking, spending has risen much more often than not. Now, folks are scared. Some people are angry. Pessimism rules. Oh, yes. The pessimists are holding themselves out as the one true light, and as long as you do it our way, we'll save you from whatever. But anyway, you know, whenever I say anything even slightly positive about the market and the economy, I get these kind of one eyebrow raise, you know, like, what are you smoking, buddy? You know, uh, I've been at this for close to 50 years. Yeah, that's right. It's true. Five zero years. I, and I know what this feels like. And this is all very familiar. We have seen this movie before, I promise. It's just that the asset classes and the names of the gossip columnists and the uh, financial pornographers of the financial media world uh, and their headlines, they change. But the bottom line, it's still all the same thing. You know, if the Fed was our, the only game in town, our job would be a lot easier. But the Fed is not the only significant market input or economic indicator. And I think uh, folks need to realize that. Now, it, probably most people listening uh, weren't around when President Truman was in place, but one of the he had a way of coming up with rather good points of view and he came up with one that said there's nothing new in the world except the history you don't know and i think that's pretty true in a lot of uh, when folks start looking at their investments and so on they tend not to get think too much about the historical considerations but uh, if you're 50 years old right now or older you've already lived through three separate occasions on which the broad market in the stock market in the U.S., at least as measured by the S&P, was down 50% or more. And then, you know, be informed that if you go back to 1972, which, oh, by the way, happens to be 50 years ago, the S&P closed on December 31st of that year at 118. 
Yeah, I didn't forget any numbers. It, it was at 118. And today, if you're keeping score, it was at 4,071. And since I went to a state school, I have to think, you know, kind of easy terms. So to me, that's more. So let me say it again. The S&P 500 has gone down by about half three different times over these last 50 years. Now it's up about 34 times since the eve of, well, it's since 1972. You know, it's, uh, and by the way, just for the record, so you don't think I'm making this up, the uh, three areas I'm talking about, January 73 to October 74, which, oh, by the way, is when I started in the biz, so, <laughs> like I said, I'm very familiar with these things. That lasted 22 months. That was a down 48%. March of 2000 to October 02, 20 months down 49%. And the one that everybody thinks of is what's right around the corner half the time. October 2007 to March of 2009, 17 months down 57%. Now we're talking about the long-term perspective in the marketplace. And uh, I had, uh, at the end of the last segment, talked about how much down the three bear markets since 1972 had uh, been. And, you know... <laughs> Let me, let me put something else in context so you can kind of get some idea that perhaps some of the noise that you're hearing now is not exactly uh, as uh, significant as the news readers would like you to believe. Let me reiterate that from uh, December of uh, 72, December 31st, to, uh, well, what, a week ago, uh, the Dow, excuse me, the S&P, was up 34 times, had grown by 34 times. Now, the earnings for the S&P in 1972, and this is not a misspeaking, $6.17. This year's estimated earnings, $215. That's 34 times bigger. The dividend of the S&P back in 72 was $3.19. Today, $65. That's up 20 times. And, you know, that's the kind of thing that you want to have uh, in terms of, uh, how would I say, taking care of your dividends, your income over time, because you'll be able to stay ahead of the consumer price index, which from 1972 through um, the end of October this year, that's the most recent data I have, uh, is up seven times. So your dividend up 20 times versus seven times of the inflation rate and your earnings up 34 times versus seven times for the inflation rate. Well, there you go. Uh, you know, that's just because that's how much earnings have grown. And, you know, it the the stock dividends i can't say this enough they haven't just kept pace with inflation they've beaten the bejesus out of it and then you know this is the critical piece of information it's your dividends that you go taking to the grocery store for your three decades of retirement not your account values 
you know, <laughs> bring them your statement and say, see, I got this much money. And they'll say, that's very nice. Now, how about some pictures of dead presidents so I can sell you this macaroni? Um, you know, for the record, the average annual compound rate total return, you know, dividends plus growth, of the S&P 500 from the end of the year in 72 until uh, November 23rd, 10.2% annual, average annual, okay? And if you had put 10000 in the S&P 500 and left it alone, always the hard part, and reinvested the dividends and had paid your taxes with some money not in from uh, that particular account, uh, that's worth a million two fifty. Not a joke. That's quite a lot, isn't it? So the deeper the market may go here in the near term, the more violently it can snap back. I mean, you saw that Wednesday, right? We were down a couple hundred points, and boom, we were up seven hundred points before the day was over. You know, the the, the long-term investor who has got most of their assets in cash in the hope of, importantly, low, uh, lower prices, is taking a risk that I personally wouldn't feel comfortable taking. Um, <laughs> you just don't know where that's going to come from, do you? And so if, if it's possible, if you're a long-term investor whose most cherished goals are, uh, well, a secure retirement and a meaningful legacy, then these are the kind of trends that are going to have an, an effect on you. You know, in 1970, uh, less than half the world's population lived in extreme, just less than half, lived in extreme poverty. That's from the World Bank. By 2018, that number was down to 9%. Now, that's just amazing. I mean, who'd have thought that in 1970? Nobody I knew. And and today, the Brookings Institution projects that between 2020 and 2030, 1.6 billion people will enter the middle class in the emerging markets around the world. That's five times our current population. So, you know, figure it out again. You know, use your imagination. What profit opportunities might our leading companies find in these developments? Just a few, wouldn't you think? You know, uh, might those developments turn out to be more important in an average of magnitude by how high the Fed raises interest rates in the next couple of weeks, months, or even how low the S&P goes before it uh, may tank and bottom out? Uh, I, well, to me, that's the bigger picture story. But, you know, I'm not here to tell you that the chaos can't continue. It it might. It Probably will, uh, but in no way, in ways that who would know. But to me, there are some market tenants that remain firmly in place forever and always. Amen. For example, you cannot forecast the economy. You cannot time the market. So by definition, then, the best time to invest in stocks for the long run is whenever you have the money. I know that sounds kind of, you know, toss-off, but that's a very, it's true. And by the same logic, the correct time to sell those stocks is whenever you need the money. Everything else is editorial commentary. You know, I, I'm, I, I don't advise people on, you know, the, the coming attractions in the markets uh, or, you know, the economy. It's 
I've been doing this too long and I know that uh, it is mission impossible. Um, and tell me somebody who has d consistently done that. Uh, nobody is the answer. And, you know, it's you've got three years of uh, these uh, rather confused markets and who would have anticipated any of that happening and what's been going on now. So a lot of this is, and I don't mean it in a really bad way, but making it up as you go along. They're responding to the situation as it presents itself because they haven't had to deal with it previously. You know, our job as advisors is to make a lifetime retirement and legacy plan with and for you and then spending the time helping you make sure that that thing comes to life, that it actually does what you and I said we wanted it to do. So keep that in mind. You know, recessions come and go. Market drawdowns come and go. But the great companies of the U.S. and the world endure and prosper. So, by definition, the lower the prices, the greater that enduring value that you realize by hanging on to it. So, please, <clears throat> excuse me, please do that. Um, do not be looking for time to bail. You know, the again, I go back to this past uh, week with our interesting series of uh, intra-week movements that were, well, you know, a couple 3%, uh, which is a lot in one day. Uh, but, you know, what if you were not in the market? Uh, you know, you had gotten out on Tuesday. You know, said, I'm out, forget it. And then you had a 700-point jump on Wednesday. And then on Friday or Thursday, you got another jump. I mean, <laughs> now what do you do? You get frozen at the switch because you say, gosh, if I don't put it in now, uh, it, I'll, it'll get away from me. But gosh, if I do it now, it'll for sure turn lower because that always happens, which is not true, but I know a lot of folks think that way. So, you know... I, I, excuse me, I have one of those charts that, you know, if you have missed this much time over this much time. Um, you know, missing t 60 days, the 60 best days in the market over a 20-year period, um, instead of earning 9.5% being fully invested, you'd have lost 4.8%. So by not being fully invested, I would say go back to that, you know, you're fully in cash. That's not invested. That's just savings. So I hope this hour has proven helpful to you. Uh, of course, I must say go Zags. That's a requirement. I truly believe that. Uh, next week, uh, I won't be here. I'm going to be on the road with clients. Uh, but the Harvey boys will be here to talk with you, among other things, about cryptocurrencies. I think you'll find that most interesting. <clears throat> Not advocating, just educating. So, thank you very much for listening. Uh, we do appreciate your support. My name is Mike Mayo. I'm with the Opus 111 Group, and you've been listening to Money Management. Join us again next Saturday morning at this same time for the financial insight, opinion, and perspective of Money Management with Mike Mayo. Have a question or comment? You can reach Mike at our website, opus111group.com.